love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a PhD holding historian, a professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that makes legit, seriously researched American history come to life through entertaining stories. Join me for a chronological telling of the United States story, from the revolution to fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way from 1776 to the early 20th century. Listen to History That Doesn't Suck on Spotify. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. So this week has been hard, I know, for a lot of people, and I thought that this was an incredible coping mechanism I wanted to share with you. Are we, you're recording, right? Yeah. We're, we've started the yeah, thing? Yeah, we have. Okay, yeah, good. I pushed the button. Sorry. It's I just okay. kind of launched in. It's all right. It's okay. Um, so my friend Liz shared a thread uh, where someone had tweeted, ever notice that that mean voice in your head that insults you is awfully confident for something that's literally never done anything in its life except for be mean to you? <laughs> like, uh, one of us is pathetic and it's not me, buddy. Get a hobby. <laughs> uh, so she commented and said, in our house, we name our inner mean voices with our most annoying slash bitchy names that we can come up with. So it's easier to tell them to shut the fuck up and take a seat. <laughs> it's worked because I can say, oh, Brittany's really running her mouth today. <laughs> it adds humor and it's a technique that's stuck through the years. I love this idea. Like, just be like, oh, I'm sorry, that was Barbara talking. <laughs> Barbara's been kind of shitty to me lately. Not your fault. Yeah. What would my negative inner voice name be? Let me think. Um, I'm going to go with Bradley. Ooh, okay. Yeah, Bradley. Shut the fuck up, Bradley. <laughs> Jeez. It's a good one. Bradley's awfully chatty at yeah. times. Yeah, and the thing is, the name can change depending on sure. how they're treating you. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, that's a wicked Kyle thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. See, that's 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 a, a good first step for self-care. Absolutely. Yeah. Self-care nice is roasting the mean voice in your head. Nice. Oh, Banjo farted, and it is bad. <laughs> oh, girl. Oh, man. Has he eaten yet? No. Okay, we better get going here. Yeah. He's going to start bitching pretty quickly. Okay, who goes first? You do. Okay, I will go first. Here we go. I got to thinking about pharmacies and when did the pharmacy become the pharmacy and who was the first pharmacist? And so I looked up who was the first pharmacist and I got some differing results. I thought that was kind of interesting. So the first thing that I found said that the first pharmacist was Elizabeth Gooking Greenleaf who bought and ran a, an apotheca- a, a, 
apothecary in Boston in 1727. That is like the hardest word for me to say. It's I always want to switch around the syllables and I want to say yes. Yeah. Or apothecary <laughs> or apothecary. Anyway, it turns out though she actually wasn't the first pharmacist. Uh, we've talked about early medicine and how it was a little sketch balls and sometimes 100% not medicine. There were some informal uh, licensing measures, but very few of them were enforced when it came to distributing medicine to people. There was this kind of pervasive idea that as long as you had hung out with someone who gave out medicine to people for <laughs> long enough, you could then give people medicine. Okay, so the barrier to entry was low. Very. Okay. Very. So we're talking about a position that we would recognize as a pharmacist or druggist, like somebody behind a counter at a store, because technically we could uh, like medicine men, for example, Native Americans mm -hmm. or um, shaman would be considered pharmacists. Sure. I think. Yeah. But you're talking about more in the modern sense. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And we're also not talking about the people who would drive around in a wagon that opened up on the side and they were like, here's some cocaine for what ails you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, to a certain extent, yes, exactly. That's what we're talking about. But inside a building. Right. Not, not mobile. Not mobile. <laughs> a stationary snake oil salesman. As a port city, New Orleans was plagued with a huge number of epidemics during the 19th century. Uh, there was a real problem with cholera and malaria. They were common. Yellow fever as well. And as I said, you could just apprentice and just start selling your own medicine. I mean, you could make and sell concoctions that people would ingest. <laughs> yeah, there's... There was no FDA. And there didn't have to be any sort of testing to not just make sure that it worked, but make sure that it wasn't harmful for you. Sure. Yeah. yeah I mean, you might as well just mix up spices in a nearby stream and... <laughs> Tell people that it cures cancer. That's crazy. No one would do that. So in 1804, Louisiana changed their rules. Governor Claiborne passed a law and Louisiana became the first state to require licensing for pharmacists. Uh, Governor Claiborne had established a board of pharmacists and physicians to administer a three-hour oral exam. So as you can imagine, people were clamoring to take this test, pass, you know, the, the test and become licensed pharmacists. Sure. Um, Three hours, though. That's quite an investment in one's time. It's something. Sure, I suppose. But that was just the test part. Like, I mean, oh. you had to have knowledge of more than three hours worth of information. I don't know. Anyway, uh, I was being facetious just then. It wasn't until 1816 that someone passed that test. How long had they been trying to test people before somebody got it right? It was 1804 when they changed the law. Wow. But since nobody that was running pharmacies had had to have the test. It didn't seem as though. They were just like, sure. Meh, why though? Yeah. I'm just going to keep selling you this tincture. 
So French immigrant Louis Dufalo Jr. became America's first licensed pharmacist. Good for him. Dufalo was the first to pass the state licensing exam given at the Cabildo in Jackson Square. Now, I was like, well, what's the Cabildo? And then I found this. It's an elegant Spanish colonial building which stands next to St. Louis Cathedral and houses many rare artifacts of America's history. Mm. It's one of the most historically significant buildings in America, built between 1795 and 1799 to replace a structure that had burned in an earlier fire. It served as the seat of government during the Spanish colonial period. Oh, no kidding. Isn't that cool? That is. I really, really, really need to go to New Orleans. Unrelated. Okay, sorry. That comes from NewOrleans.com, and I just thought that that was fascinating, not related in in much of a way to pharmacies, but he did take the test at that building. So here we go. (laughs) So he started his own pharmacy with his older brother, and that was located on Charles Street. But in 1823, just a few blocks away from the Mississippi River in the French Quarter, Lewis opened his own pharmacy. The front windows displayed multi-tiered bottles of colored water. And these bottles were pretty popular in pharmacies. They were kind of a barber's pole, but for pharmacies. It was, they were called show globes. And they were put in these front windows so that people would see them, kind of be drawn to the shiny like a crow, Mm -hmm. and uh, would want to come in and see what was inside these fascinating bottles full of colorful water. But they were just colored water. That's my understanding. Okay. Yeah. So the newly standardized pharmacies went along with more scientific procedures as often as they could. As we are, as a society, learning more about germies and what causes illnesses, pharmacies are trying to move into that direction. However, because they had had things that weren't scientifically driven for as long as they had, DeFillo also sold leeches and cocaine well, sure. and voodoo potions. Uh-huh. Your one-stop leeches and blow distributor with plenty of free parking <laughs> and a friendly, knowledgeable staff. For all your heroin and voodoo needs. <laughs> the interesting thing about the, the potions, and keep in mind we're in you know Louisiana uh, at the time, right. and so there's a lot of... Um, local lore that goes into health practices at this time. Folk medicine. Exactly. Um, The thing about it is maybe uh, you wanted to try a voodoo potion, Mm -hmm. but you were a upper class lady who didn't want people knowing that you were trying a voodoo potion. Right. You're the type of person that uses high class uh, drugs like Coke. (laughs) So um, they had these voodoo potions numbered so that they could be ordered discreetly so that, you know, you didn't have to say I'd like, you know, this or this. It could just be like a number 23 for me. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So the building is now listed on the National Register of Historic Places as a historic building, now known as the New Orleans Pharmacy Museum. The museum didn't open until 1950 after the building had been damaged in a hurricane and had been abandoned for some time. But Elizabeth Sherman, who is the executive director of the museum, said that 
Lewis had learned how to make some of these voodoo potions from the local priestesses, and then he would sell them under the counter at his French pharmacy because there was a draw for it. So maybe it was socially unacceptable or against your religion, she said, to see a voodoo priestess. But if you are curious and you wanted to experiment, you could get those things at your local pharmacy. That's nuts. Yeah. In DeFillo's day, pharmacists mixed medicines from scratch using plants and minerals and insects and who knows what else. Um, and there was a courtyard in that building that would have been used to grow some of those ingredients. And that's actually what you can still find there today. The pharmacy has been fully restored, offering visitors a window into what it would have looked like 200 years ago, including this functional herbal medicines garden no in the kidding. courtyard. They served up some weird stuff in the name of medicine back in those days. Oh, sure. Abe Lincoln was given mercury tablets to take for his depression. Yeah. Of all things to take for one's depression, here's a heavy metal. Well, in uh, an episode a ways back, we talked about how there was a period of time where mummy dust was a yeah. big medicine draw. Yeah, they would grind up mummies and put it in your soup. Very strange. Pharmacy, you'll also find the pharmacy's original soda fountain. Uh, many sodas, of course, had originally medicinal purposes, mm -hmm. and they were invented by pharmacists. So this soda fountain was made of Italian rose and black marble. It dates to about 1855, and it is in working condition. If it weren't for the lead pipes, they <laughs> would they would be able to use it in the pharmacy now. But, but back then, lead was good for you. That's right. If you ran short of mercury. <laughs> Now, keep in mind that Lewis was not just into pharmacying, mm, pharmacy-ness, pharmacying. He wasn't just into pharmacying. Okay. Pharmacological endeavors? <laughs> sure. All right. Yep. No, that's great. He also joined the Howard Association, which is a precursor to the Red Cross. It went on to treat over 130,000 victims of yellow fever. Apparently, his brother had died of yellow fever. And so he was very involved in his local community trying to, you know, stomp out these various epidemics. DeFillo Jr. and his wife lived with their children in the family quarters on the pharmacy property until 1855, and that's when he sold it to uh, Dr. Dupas. That doctor and his family lived in the pharmacy until he died of syphilis in 1867. Dr. Dupas is reported to have performed terrible experiments, though, and is now rumored to haunt the museum. Nice. Wow. <laughs> now, uh, that is a story for a different day. Now, the, the terrible experiments, is that how he ended up with syphilis? You know, you don't have to get too experimental for syphilis to take hold. That's true. Uh, just a regular old wee-woo will do it. That'll so, do it, yeah. Yeah. Um, but this museum is absolutely incredible. Looking at some of the photos, it looks just chock-a-bock full of amazing uh, things that, that go through history, showing you what would have been used and um, the usage of alcohol in medicines, the use of narcotics in medicines, the use of leeches in medicines you know it was it's really incredible and i cannot wait to go i think this has leapt up into my top 10 all right yeah well i'm with you on that one that sounds fascinating it reminds me of a story local story 
local for us, uh, in a town that's south of where we are, uh, Belfast, Maine. It's twice that's come up. Uh, there was a, a main building on the main street there. Uh, a commercial building that was built probably mid 1800s. Mm -hmm. And this was probably 20 years ago. I remember reading this in the newspaper. The building had had fallen into some disrepair. It had been uh, empty for a while. An investor bought it and was working on the upper floor, I think the second floor Mm -hmm. of this four-story brick building. And he found a false wall and he knocked the wall down and inside was an old pharmacy. And nobody knew it was there because it had just been boarded up for years. It was one room. Oh, my goodness. That was used as a pharmacy. And apparently, after doing some research, he found out they closed it off like in the 1920s or 30s. But all they did was just board it up, put a wall over it, ultimately. We're done with this room. And so when he went inside... Everything was still there. Wow. It was like a little time capsule. All For these sure. old patent medicines and uh, probably bromo seltzer and stuff like that <laughs> that was popular back in those days. Uh, and I, I just found that fascinating. I would like to go see that. Do they do they restore it so that I you don't can know. go see it? I a few years ago I tried to uh, do a follow up on that and I can't find it. I can't right. find anything well, about we'll it. We'll just have to head down there yeah. and check it out. Sure. Um, I got most of my information from nolaghosts.com, history.com, hcplive.com, pharmacymuseum.org, and nolaweekend.com. Please let's go. I'm in. Okay. And now, that thing in the middle. Found this article on purewow.com. These are real things that women craved during pregnancy. Number five, cigarettes. No, not to smoke, to eat. Oh my goodness. I wanted to chew on cigarette butts. Not the cigarette, just the squishy end. That's usually between somebody's mouth. Yeah, just the cigarette butt. (laughs) She, She said I never did it, thank God, but I really wanted to. All right. That sounds like a form of pica. It's interesting. That might be something that reminds her mm. of something her body needs. Because mm-hmm. so often our cravings are connected to something that our body actually is in demand of. I worked with a woman who, when pregnant, experienced some symptoms of pica. Uh, she wanted, uh, she craved laundry detergent. Oh, my goodness. She never, of course, ate it, but boy, she wanted to. Number four, melon, melon, and more melon. There was a two-week stretch in my first trimester where I ate cantaloupe like it was going out of style, likely because my body needed the vitamin C, but it is not something I normally gravitate toward. (laughs) That would be so weird to be craving something that you didn't really like. Yeah. Number three, meat, but only the kind you eat with your hands. (laughs) So specific. (laughs) She said, this is vaguely embarrassing, but when I was pregnant, all I wanted was chicken wings. I wanted them saucy and spicy, and I wanted to eat them with my bare hands. Must be some sort of an evolutionary thing with that. It must be. I don't know. Number two, I craved Taco Bell all the time. Anytime we discussed lunch or dinner options, Taco Bell was the first thing I thought of. Fire sauce was the key. Not mild, hot, or Diablo. It had to be fire. I had an entire drawer in the kitchen of fire sauce packets, so we'd always have it on hand. Well, that's just smart. And number one, a weird combination, fried eggs and peas. 
Oh. Yeah. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. There are really many reasons to listen to our podcast, Big Picture Science. It's kind of a challenge to summarize them all, Molly. Okay, here's a reason to listen to our show, Big Picture Science, because you love to be surprised by science news. We love to be surprised by science news. So, for instance, I learned on our own show that I had been driving around with precious metals in my truck before it was stolen. That was brought up in our show about precious metals and also rare metals, like most of the things in your catalytic converter. I was surprised to learn that we may begin naming heat waves like we do hurricanes. You know, prepare yourself for heat wave Lucifer. I don't think I can prepare myself for that. Look, we like surprising our listeners. We like surprising ourselves by reporting new developments in science and while asking the big picture questions about why they matter and how they will affect our lives today and in the future. Well, we can't affect lives in the past, right? No, I I guess that's a point. (laughs) So the podcast is called Big Picture Science, and you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. We are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us. We hope you'll take a listen. We've been hiding under your bed for the past 200 shows. And you know what? You really need to vacuum under here. This is The Box of Oddities. You know, at the beginning of the podcast, you mentioned uh, your friend's post about, uh, it was a helpful post about uh, naming your inner negative voice so that you know who to shout down when they start telling you you're the worst person alive. Mm -hmm. Very helpful. Here's another helpful tip. Uh, Jill sent us this message, and it just says, don't ever pet the tongue of a killer whale. Oh, I cannot commit to this. No matter how much they beg, she says. Their taste buds are the size of quarters, and uh, you got to really get up in there. The stench is putrid. I did it without gloves. I became an untouchable for exactly five and a half days. Is it kind of like snake poop where the smell will stick with you even after you wash your hands? Maybe that's it. Interesting. Jill is the person who, she wrote to us earlier about working with Free Willy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
So this was a follow-up about Willie uh, banging his six-foot penis on the glass wall of his uh, yeah. aquarium. Trying to free his Willie. Yeah. Thanks, Jill. You're very helpful. Well, once again, I trolled the darkest corners of the interwebs <laughs> to find <laughs> these stories. Law enforcement officials are going to show up at our house. <laughs> We've been tracking your Googling history. Yeah. When I say the darkest part of the internet, I mean Reddit. Uh, that's about as dark as I get on the internet. <laughs> But these are some stories that people shared about glitches in the Matrix oh. that they experienced. Hedro Snuffler writes, That's not a real name. <laughs> a long time ago, I had a conversation with an old workmate who described the following. The details hazy, but he said one day he was in his house and he felt a sudden need to go outside and stand on his lawn. He claimed it was the strongest, clearest feeling ever. And on doing so, he experienced a sort of wobble. He just said everything was kind of screwed up for a moment, and he experienced a feeling of detachment, an outsideness. When it passed, he turned around to go back inside. While he talked to me, he got quite upset at this point and asked me not to think he was crazy. Okay. The next thing he saw was his car parked in the street, and it was the same model, same registration, different color. Wait, what? He was so thrown by this, and then even more so because his wife came out to ask him what he was doing, and he said he realized she was in all appearance, his wife, but somehow not his wife. He said from that point on, she liked foods that she had claimed to hate before, sometimes brought up memories he said he had zero relation to. He said things like his route to work was still the same, but somehow different. He said there were buildings along the way that either he had missed in the six years he had driven past them for five days a week. Wow. Or just appeared overnight. He even said some people he remembered from other departments in work had just vanished and asked about them. And people around him had no idea who he was talking about. My goodness. He was completely regular, healthy guy. But he said he measured his life in relation to that afternoon. He went on to say he was now living his life with a feeling of about 15% of it had spontaneously changed that one afternoon. This makes me think of two things. One, uh, Capgras syndrome, which is the one where uh, you have this feeling that people in your life have been replaced or that, uh, you know, mm. something in your life has mm -hmm. been an imposter is taking its place. It also reminds me of the movie Dark City, which you might remember uh, the strangers come in at night and make everyone kind of go to sleep. Oh, and then they change yeah. things around and see how people respond to their lives being completely changed even that's, though they can't explain why or how. That's a fascinating concept. I think it's interesting that he can anchor it to one moment in time, yeah. which makes me think that, did he have some sort of a stroke maybe, or like a, a, a series of mini strokes, perhaps? I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I sat next to one one time. Well, maybe that's when the strangers put him to sleep. That could be. Anyway, we should watch Dark City. From You're a Moron... I was catching a sky train in one particular city about 15 minutes from where I get off. While I wait there, a woman with glazed eyes was asking people for money. She came up to me. She stopped briefly and asked, Excuse me, could you spare some money? My brother's in the hospital and I'd like to buy him some flowers. And I'm thinking, that's rich. 
people are getting more and more obvious with their lines. So I gave her $5 without looking in her face, convinced of her intentions. My train pulls up and I got on. I look through the glass at her. She's still walking around on the train station asking other people for money as the train pulls away. The train arrives at my destination 15 minutes later. I walk down, get on a bus. After about 5 or 10 minutes of traveling, the driver pulls over for a routine stop. The doors open, and to my complete astonishment, that woman from the SkyTrain walks onto the bus with a dozen roses in hand. She looks me right in the eye as she takes her seat next to me. How the blue hell did she get there? <laughs> I took the train before her. I watched her at the train stop from inside as we pulled away. I went over a river. I caught the first and only bus going in this particular direction. And not only did she beat me there, she had time to go to a store and buy a dozen roses. Yeah, and she looked at him when she got on the bus. Yeah. That's the thing is, I don't look at shit when I get on buses. I am looking for an open seat, and that's it. Mm. I do not make eye contact Mm-mm. with people, especially people that gave me money to buy these alien flowers. Alien flowers. Not long before. Yep. Shepherd of Hermes. Wrote, I got in a motorcycle accident about six years ago. Oof, motor scary. I was going 45 miles an hour through town, and a woman who didn't see me turned left in front of me. That is, they tell you when you go to motorcycle training school, that is the most common way people get in accidents in motorcycles. People turn left right in front of you. Yeah. And you still drive uh, like you're driving a motorcycle even when you are not. That's and true. so you're very cautious at intersections. Overly, overly cautious. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it could only have been a millisecond, but I remember weighing my options and wondering if I should try to go over the car or under it by laying the bike down. Mm. I went straight under the car. I went diagonally. I slid across the pavement wearing no helmet, no jacket, just jeans and a zip-up hoodie from Walmart. So I slid for about 80 feet on the pavement. And when I stopped and stood up, the only thing wrong was that there was a hole in my hoodie cuff about the size of a dime, not a scratch anywhere else. I remember looking at my mangled motorcycle and screaming, physics don't work like this. I, See, if he if he had been fine and his bike had been fine, I would have been like, oh, well, he must have just hit the road at a good angle. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but if he's fine, but his bike is fucked, yeah. that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't sense. make any sense. And how, how does one slide under a car? That's well, crazy. I did it once when I was skiing. Uh, but, really? you know, it, I also didn't have a motorcycle attached to me. Mm. Skis are, are slimmer. <laughs> True. Typically. Not always. Jay Ballin writes, About a year ago, my girlfriend and I went to eat at Chipotle. It's in a smallish shopping area with a burger joint next to it. One of those kind of slightly upper class shopping strip areas. We pulled into the parking lot in front of the establishments at 5 p.m. on a Friday evening and were surprised to see the entire parking lot empty. There were no tables outside of Chipotle. There were no cars in the parking lot, not a person in sight. Even the lights inside the building were off. Completely confused, I took the car in sort of a loop around the building in order to leave. 
As we pulled around the backside of the building, then finished looping around, we drive past the front facade of the building. Except this time, every parking spot is filled. Wait, what? Tables outside with patrons at them. Food half eaten. There's people walking around. The lights inside the buildings are all on. It took less than 30 seconds to make a circle around the building. I don't understand. Easily one of the strangest things that I have ever experienced. Wow. I don't think I would want to go eat there anymore. And you love Chipotle. Of course I do. Sofritas are amazing. Hades Smiles wrote this. My friend and I were at a Chinese restaurant and we oh, ordered... I want Chinese food. They ordered General So chicken and shrimp lo mein. When we sat down, we both took our boxes and set them on the table two feet apart. My friend opens the first box and we see the shrimp lo mein dish. All the things were there, the noodles, the shrimp, the food, the fried rice. He closes the box, opens the other, and inside that box, another shrimp lo mein dish. Same thing. Oh, I think they must have mixed up the orders. I was just about to say this when my friend says out loud, looks like they made a mistake and gave us two. He opens up the first box. Inside was General So Chicken and the second one, General So Chicken. White rice and egg, exactly the same. He froze and looked at me. I looked back at him. We sat there in silence. It took us five minutes or so to collect ourselves. I have no idea what happened. That's weird. So what if they closed it again and then opened them again? Would they have one of each? Or See, that would it been... be like orange tofu? Because keep closing, babe. Until you See get what, what you, you want. get. Yeah, it's like a buffet, but you don't have to stand up. <laughs> this one reminds me of your story, the weird experience that you had. Pistachio writes... When I was 10 or 11, I was going to the beach with my aunt and her friends. There were two cars. To get there, we had to go through a very large industrial area. We didn't know the direction, so our car was following the other car. Suddenly, they did an unexpected turn, so our driver had to take a sharp bend. At that moment, we heard a very clear, loud voice inside the car laughing, saying, Sharp bend, hmm? The driver immediately hit the brakes, and we all looked at each other, puzzled. We all recognized it was a voice not belonging to any of us. At the very same time, we noticed the other car had stopped as well. The other, the other driver got out of the car with a scared face and shouted to us, Did you hear that voice? What? They heard the same thing inside their car, and the area was completely deserted. That's really weird. That's suspicious. Well, it reminded me of your story yes. when you're driving and the radio went out and you heard, Katie. Yeah, but nobody else heard it. Uh, maybe I just had a friggin' moment. You could have. Kevin Ickes writes, I've won the lottery twice by playing numbers that I saw in dreams the night before. Ooh. First dream was me entering the numbers 4906 on a keypad for some reason. The second dream months later uh, was me using a bottle of 409. That's the cleaner yeah. spray, right? Giddy Up 409, which is actually a song about kitchen cleaner. I only won a couple of hundred bucks, but it's better than nothing. I got the exact matches both times. Yeah, absolutely. I would keep a dream journal. Yeah, definitely. Start jotting those shits down. And finally, from a lot of italics, <laughs> <laughs> one day I was walking to work and all of a sudden I had an urge to walk a different path than usual. I worked downtown in a big city. It was a strange spur-of-the-moment urge to walk a different way that changed my life forever. I turned into an alley that I had never seen before. Now, as I remember it, 
I made it about 15 feet or so when an actual glitch happened. Everything in my mind scrambled. I felt like I didn't have a body anymore. Just that I was a semi-conscious entity floating through some weird dimension. All of a sudden, in the array of different colors and shapes, a vision came to me. It was a bunch of strange-looking people that in my mind resembled businessmen wearing suits. They started looking at me and panicked that I could see them. One of the people made a quick movement, and then everything went black. When I regained normality, I was on a completely different street. It was the same street that I'd always walked to work on. I felt sick and severely disturbed and yes. depressed. I would be too. I've never done any hard drugs, never experienced any hallucinations, never had anything like this happen to me. The weird thing is, when the glitch was correcting itself, I could see those people watching me like a caged animal. I had the feeling that I knew I was being controlled. It still bothers me very much to this day. It's so weird. That is strange. I wonder if, like, that kind of thing makes me think of, okay, so how would I get to this situation in a movie? Mm. Like, sometimes, you know, maybe that alley is not an alley that really leads to anywhere, so there's no reason that anyone would use it. So sure. that is the alley where you can go into the other dimension or something like that. It's kind of like uh, 13th floor. Right, or that lake and fringe. I was just thinking that. It also, that story kind of reminds me of the story that was sent in to us for the Halloween special where the uh, woman telling the story said that she saw like a different kind of creature mm. standing at the deli counter. Yeah. And uh, that she got the impression that there she were wasn't a, yeah, supposed to see him. Yeah, that nobody else could see what she was seeing, that she was seeing, quote, behind the curtain, which is kind of what this story reminds me of. Yeah. He was seeing something behind the curtain. My my concern with that supermarket story is like, what is that weird alien doing getting deli salad? Mm, like Maybe they were putting something in the deli salad. Oh, like that Oregon cult? Maybe only people who eat the deli salad can see them. Well, I'll tell you what, then I should be able to see them because I love a crunchy vegetable salad. <laughs> Ooh, or that kale and pasta thing that they do. Mm, yeah. mom, mom, Nice. Firecracker salad, too, is amazing. Anyway, don't put stuff in salad bars. No, don't do that. That's just no. bad form. Yeah. Well, those were very interesting, sweetheart. Yeah, I thought so, too. I thought that was a, some of those were especially creepy. You know what else is creepy? What? Watch this segue. Okay. Ready for it? Mm -hmm. How many people have joined us on Patreon? Show of hands, please. No, I'm saying that's creepy. How many people have joined us on Patreon? Oh, okay. All right. Wasn't quite as good a segue as I was hoping for, but uh, it, you got us there, and that's all that matters. Well, if you had paid attention, you would have seen that it was a great segue. <laughs> I see. Is what I'm saying. Yes. Thank you so much, those of you who are uh, supporting us on Patreon. It's giving us the opportunity to grow this podcast, and what we're hoping to do next year assuming that all this crazy pandemic stuff is under control, we want to do an extended tour. And that takes some dollar. Yeah. Um, I think what I would like to do is split spaces in the world up into like a chartable mm -hmm. or graphable list. And and then uh, go, I want to go all the places, basically, is what I'm saying. By uh, supporting us on Patreon, it gives us the opportunity to uh, to plan this and book it out and to be able to afford to come to your city. Hopefully, that's our plan. 
And you can uh, support the Box of Oddities by going to patreon.com slash box of oddities or just our website, theboxofoddities.com. Our next city, Madrid. We're going to go to Madrid. Yeah, I just used the and... random city generator oh, I see. Uh, that yeah. Google gave yeah. me. Yeah, we're not um. going to Madrid. Not right now, anyway. <laughs> uh, we are definitely, we were planning on going to uh, Texas Yeah. right before the pandemic. So probably Texas, L.A. We're going to be doing L.A., uh, Chicago is another area that we're looking at, too. Oh, my God. I can't wait to go to the Fields Museum. Philadelphia. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I can't wait to go back to the Motor Museum. We got to go to New Orleans now. Oh, yes. We'll keep you posted. And we look forward to seeing you next time. <laughs> Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. Therefore... It's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2020, all rights reserved. Your one-stop leeches and... <laughs> your one-stop leeches and blow... Wait... Your one-stop leeches and blow... Oh, fuck. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. Are you interested in the parts of history that remain a mystery? Do you want to learn more about the historical myths and misconceptions used to prop up false belief today? I'm Nathaniel Lloyd. In my podcast, Historical Blindness, I delve into all of these topics, sharing puzzling tales from the past and examining hoaxes, conspiracy theories, and misremembered events that provide insight into modern politics and religion. New episodes every two weeks. Find Historical Blindness on most podcast players and platforms.